Okay, if you have your Bibles, we're starting a new book tonight, uh, the book of Amos. The book of Amos. Now, anybody figured out where the title came from? See what kind of scholars y'all are. Y'all don't know? That's it. That's it. I knew you guys knew it. Actually, it's not Amos. In Hebrew, it's Amos. Amos, which means burden bearer. And that's a pretty appropriate name for this guy named, we'll call him Amos, because that's the English transliteration of, of Amos. But uh, his name actually means burden bearer. And like I said, it's a pretty appropriate name because he's going to come bearing this great burden that the Lord has for Israel. And uh, he's going to speak uh, to the Israelites. Uh, and they're really not going to want to hear him because they're living in a time uh, when they're all singing, happy days are here again. I mean... It just seems like everything's going great. Uh, they've got this conservative politician. Uh, he's got a weird hairdo. Uh, his name is Jeroboam II. And, and they, they think, man, they have arrived and everything's going great. And the Lord loves them and the, loves the nation and everything's going good. And they're having, their economy's booming and uh, their military is so powerful that they're beginning to expand their borders. But what they didn't realize and what they didn't see in, all, when, in the midst of all this prosperity, their soul was rotting. I mean, it was actually rotting. The soul of the nation, the soul of the people was rotting. And so God calls this very unlikely hero. He would be a hero if they would have listened to it. But he calls this guy named Amos, or Amos, this farmer from Tekoa, the shepherd from Tekoa. And he calls him from the southern kingdom, which is, you know, it's kind of like Southerners going up to preach to Yankees or Yankees coming down to preach to Southerners. They don't take it very well. And so they, he, God calls this guy from the Southern Kingdom and he calls him up to pronounce judgment on the nation of Israel. And so he's got a tough task. We're going to see that as we, we're going to get a little bit of narrative about what's going on there as, as we get later on into the book. Uh, but first we're going to hear a few of his sermons and they are pretty, pretty tough to listen to. Uh, we, we pretty much can date the book at least within a few years because he tells us in the first verse, if you look at, first, at the first verse, he says, In the days of Jeroboam the second, in the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah. So we know that he spoke during the reign of Uzziah in the southern kingdom and Jeroboam the second in the northern kingdom. Well, we can date that because Uzziah reigned from 767 to 739 B.C. And Jeroboam II reigned from 782 to 753. So if you put those two extremes there before the death and the beginning of their, their, uh, their uh, reign, then uh, you know that he preached sometimes between 767 and 753 uh, B.C. Now, that's interesting because that tells us who his contemporaries were. He preached after Joel preached and Jonah preached and Obadiah preached, but he preached before Hosea and Micah and Isaiah even. So it's interesting to me because we just went through the book of Hosea and Hosea is speaking in the immediate sense, because it's, they're just a few years away from judgment. Just a few years. It was right at hand. And you remember in the book of Hosea, what was Hosea telling the northern kingdom? He was telling, man, you're judged. 
the, the sentence has been passed. I mean, there's a future hope for you, but for this generation who doesn't know the Lord, you're about to get wiped out. And there's, I don't care what you do, you're going to get wiped out. And so when Amos is preaching, it's about 35 years before they actually go into captivity. And so he's giving them some hope. He's telling them, look, uh, the Lord is patient. He's merciful. He's full of love. And he loves this nation. And if you'll just turn back to the Lord and, and, and stop sinning, then, uh, you know, you still have a chance, if you'll repent, for the Lord to relent on this judgment. So, basically what Amos' message is, he's going to tell them that you've broken your covenant with the Lord. And you've become a sinful nation. And that uh, you'd better repent and turn back to the Lord. Or, you remember what he says, if you've read through the book of Amos before, he says, prepare to meet your maker. Well, that's, when that, and that's not said in a nice way. <laughs> that's prepare to meet your maker at the great white throne judgment seat is what he's saying, basically. In other words, the next, when, when you die, you're going to have to answer for, for not repenting of your sin. So... As far as an outline of the book, it's pretty easy to outline the book because he gives us, he begins the, the uh, book with the pronouncement of eight judgments. Oh, he judgments on uh, Damascus, Gaza, Tyre, Edom, Ammon, Moab, Judah, and then Israel. And if you watch the way he does these judgments, if you had a map out and you were looking at it on a map, it's kind of like he encircles the nation of Israel. And he passes all of these judgments on these various nations all the way around a circle. And then, boom, he hits the bullseye. And the bullseye is, is Israel. So uh, he's got a pretty tough message. And then uh, he begins with these judgments. Then he makes the case against Israel. And then he gives five visions of the actual judgment of the nation of Israel. It's pretty bad stuff. So, he, so you know, you think of a vision, you think of a good thing. But a vision can be a bad thing, too. Vision of the future. I mean, you read the book of Revelation, and John had all these visions of the future, and he saw some very terrible things in the future. He didn't see many good things to write at the end. And so uh, that's, that's kind of the same way with Amos. He's going to have these terrible visions to pronounce, a, to, to tell Israel about, uh, and, and uh, he'll end like all the prophets do with, a, with an encouraging word. So let's go to verse number one and... And uh, remember what I said, we're going to pick up, and he's going to give us these eight judgments on these various nations. But let's begin with verse number one. He says, The word of Amos, who was among the sheep breeders of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. Apparently there was a great earthquake uh, that made history back in those days. It was so terrible. We don't have any actual uh, historical documentation about that earthquake other than Josephus mentions the fact that you remember when Uzziah the king went into the temple and acted as priest and he didn't have the right to act as priest and remember God gave him leprosy? Josephus says that that very day when that happened, Israel had the greatest earthquake in its entire history. So possibly and more than likely, that's the earthquake that, that uh, Amos is speaking up right here. But I, I want to dwell on this first part of this verse for just a second. He says, the word of Amos who was among 
the sheep breeders. Now, just imagine, here's Amos minding his own business down in the southern kingdom. He's doing his own thing. He's, he's, got, he's really got a good life. He's outdoors with his sheep. Uh, you know, it's a beautiful countryside, beautiful weather. You know, the weather there is fantastic. And, and he's out herding his sheep. And the Lord calls him and says, I want you to drop what you're doing. I want you to go up to those Yankees in the north. And I want you to tell them they're about to be judged. Now, why would Amos do that? Well, you know, isn't it funny how God uses sheep herders? He calls sheep herders. You know what? Actually, you know where their calling began? When he called them to be sheep herders. See, because sheep herders are special people. Shepherds are special people. Because they go out and they're alone. And they're in this uh, pristine environment. And they, they're looking up at the stars at night and they can see the glory of the heavens. Remember how David wrote about that in the Psalms. And they can see all of these things. And, and, and so they're close to God. And so, you know, I mean, David was a shepherd. Uh, Moses was a shepherd. Abraham was a shepherd. Jacob was a shepherd. And, I, you know, it's, it's by no accident that the Lord himself said, I am the good shepherd. Something in his heart special. You know, if you want to get on the Lord's good side and you're on his bad side, go out and buy you some sheep and go out there and start herding sheep. Maybe you can fix things. Now, God, God's got to call you to that. And usually if he calls somebody to, into that kind of environment, he's calling you to something bigger later on. If God's got you isolated right now, if you look at it as maybe, a, maybe he's got you over in some obscure position, it seems like your life is going nowhere. He might have you in that for a reason so that you can, you can be with him. So he could prepare you for something much bigger than that. And that's what he did for Amos. I mean, Amos probably this whole time wishes he was herding sheep. But hey, we're talking about Amos uh, some uh, 2,700 years after he spoke. So, man, he's down in history forever, this guy. He got, had a very important task. And so God calls him and uh, then in verse number two, and he said, watch this. The Lord roars from Zion. You know, if you look at commentaries on Joel, you'll hear the roaring lion will be the title of one. The lion that roars. I mean, the roaring lion of Judah. I mean, you get all sorts of titles about these commentaries on Amos. Uh, and they really speak the message. And that's the fact that the Lord is roaring. When a, when a lion roars, we think of Jesus as a lion of Judah, as God is the lion of Judah. When he roars, that means he's about to destroy his prey. He, or he's about to do something terrible, something frightening. And that's the message of the book of Amos. It's not a very pleasant message. But the Lord has roared from Zion, Zion the heavenly city, from Jerusalem. Uh, and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastors of the shepherds mourn uh, and the top of Carmel withers. Now, when he says those pastures of the shepherds mourn, what's he talking about? He's talking about a coming drought and famine that's going to be caused by this judgment uh, that's, that's going to, that, where the shepherds aren't going to be able to find pasture for their sheep, and they're going to mourn. And he's looking at this from, with, from a shepherd's standpoint. And he says, even the top of Carmel withers. He's talking about Mount Carmel. There's a city called Carmel down in Judah, but I believe here he's talking about when he says the top of the mountain he's talking about Mount Carmel which is up in the north 
northwest part of Israel, right there on the Mediterranean Sea. And he says, even the top of Carmel withers. And Carmel is a very fertile mountain. Uh, people go to Carmel, and there's all sorts of life up there that you don't see down in the desert valleys. And so, but he says, even the top of Carmel withers. The drought is, and famine is going to be so bad that even the top of Carmel, this fertile land, is going to all wither up there. But I think he's speaking of something spiritually too, isn't he? Carmel, the word Carmel means the garden of God. And so, uh, so uh, what he's saying here, who's God's garden? His people. His people. He said his things are going to get so bad that, that the people are going to wither up. The people are going to be taken away. Things are going to be really bad in Israel uh, when this, when this uh, judgment takes place. Now, what he's going to do, we're going to get to the judgment of the surrounding nations. And as I said in the introduction earlier, you're going to see this pattern on how he judges the nations. It would be as if God called me to judge Louisiana. And, and I would write down my judgment. And I would begin in the north, let's say. And I would... Past, I would talk about the judgment that's coming on Arkansas. Then I would head to the west and I'd talk about the judgment that's coming on Texas. And then I would head to the east and I would talk about the judgment that's coming on Mississippi. And then boom, I would say, now let me tell you about the judgment that's coming on Louisiana. And I think there's a purpose in him doing that. And there's a lesson in him doing that. We'll see in just a minute. But he says in verse number three, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus. Now, who's he judging? You ought to know that because that, that city's in the news. And they've always, that city's always had trouble. One day it's going to be totally wiped out. And that's not what this passage is talking about. It's talking about an earlier judgment. But he says, for three transgressions, for three transgressions of Damascus, and for four I will not turn away its punishment because they have threshed Gilead with implements of iron, with weapons of iron. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament and you're familiar with this guy, Hatziel, from Syria, you remember the guy, how brutal he was? He came into Israel and he killed all, all, all sorts of Israelites and he did it brutally. I mean, he, 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 loves, he loved torturing people and, and uh, cutting the women's wombs and tearing the babies out of the womb and throwing them up against the rocks. That's the kind of guy he was. He was a terrible guy. So the Lord says, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not turn away its punishment because they have threshed Gilead with the implements of iron. In 2 Kings chapter 10, we're told that Hatziel smote Israel on all their coasts from Jordan eastward, all the land of Gilead. And this is what he's talking about, the Gadites and the Reubenites and the Manassites. Now, let's go back to this formula that he uses right here. He says, for three transgressions, and for four, I'm going to judge them. What does he mean by that? Well, that's, numerology in the Old Testament is so important in the New Testament too. It's very important with God. I've talked about that over and over again. I look for that number seven. I love this here, the number seven. Not because I play craps, but because I love that's God's number. When I see that number seven, I know that God's in this. For good or bad, God's in it. And not always, but... but but I look for that number when I'm dealing in things. But the number three is important too. What's the number three mean? Well, it's the number of the Trinity. 
I, I like the address here, 1113. That's a great address. One of the main reason we bought this building was it was 111. If it had been 666, we wouldn't have bought this building. But it's the number, the number three is the number of the Lord, and it's the number of completion. Just like seven is perfection, it's completion. And so what he's saying is that for three transgressions, for the complete number of transgressions, complete in what sense? That the cup of the wrath of the Lord is full. And then when you go to that fourth transgression, what's happening? You're beginning to go even past the fullness of the cup. So you've gone overboard and you're going to be judged. So for three transgressions and for four of Damascus, I will not turn away his punishment because they have thrust Gilead with implements of iron. Then look at verse number four and five. He says, but I will send fire into the houses, house of Haziel, which shall devour the palaces of Ben-Hadad. And I will break the gate bar of Damascus and cut the inhabitants from the valley of Avon. And one who holds the scepter from Beth Eden, the people of Syria shall go into captive, go captive to cure. And that, that's exactly what happened to them. Cure is, is a city in Assyria. And the Assyrians came against the, the Assyrians came against the Syrians and pretty much totally destroyed them. Isn't it funny how God will use a nation to discipline his nation and then destroy that nation that disciplined his nation? I mean, all of those nations that are coming against Israel right now, all of that is part of God's perfect plan for the future. Doesn't seem like it. Seems like a lot of chaos. It seems like, man, they've got no hope. You think maybe God wants them to feel that way? You think maybe sometimes he wants you to feel that way? Because when you have no hope, what do you do if you know God? You turn to the hope. You turn to the Lord. And so uh, here they are, and they're, 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 they're coming against, they're, they're used by God, the, the Syrians, to judge Israel. And then God turns around and uses the Assyrians to judge them. We're told in 2 Kings 16, 19. So it says, so the king of Assyria heeded him, for the king of Assyria went up against Damascus and took it and carried away its people to cure and killed Retzen. Uh, and then it goes on a little bit further. We won't go into that. But just as the Lord predicted, that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. All right. So basically what we've done, we've gone to the north and we've looked at Syria. And now we go uh, to the west and we look at Gaza and the Philistines. Look at verses 6 and 7. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four I will not turn away his punishment because they took captive the whole captivity, to deliver them up to Edom. So what the Philistines were doing, whenever the Israelites were down, they were taking their people and plundering their land and taking their people as slaves and then selling them to Edom or to the Phoenicians in Tyre. And that was pretty much their history. And so God says, hey, I've had enough of this. I will send fire upon the wall of Gaza, which shall devour its palaces. I will cut the inhabitants of Ashdod and the one who holds a scepter from Ashkelon. It's funny how these cities are still there today and we, they're still in the news. I will turn my hand against Ekron and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish, says the Lord God. And that's exactly what happened in 2 Kings 
18.8 when Hezekiah comes against the Philistines and he punishes them for taking Israelites into slavery. So he's gone now and he's, we've looked to the north and uh, we've looked to the west and now we move a little bit northwest. And he pronounces judgment on Tyre, or, which is modern day Lebanon. And this is what he says in verse number nine. He says, thus says the Lord for three transgressions of Tyre and for four I will not turn away its punishment because they delivered up the whole captivity to Edom and did not remember the covenant of their brotherhood. But I will send a fire upon the wall of Tyre which shall devour, it, devour, devour its palaces. You remember this king Hiram. You remember in David's day? There was this king of Tyre named Hiram. And he made an economic and military covenant. Tyre was Phoenicia. When you hear of ancient countries, this is the country of Phoenicia. That's the capital of Phoenicia. Phoenicians were pretty tough, rugged people. I mean, they, they, for years they, they fought the, the various empires in those lands and did pretty well. The Romans, Romans never really fully conquered them. Alexander the Great did. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But anyway, Hiram makes this economic and military alliance with David and with Solomon. But in Amos' day, they've broken the covenant with Israel and they were actually in cahoots with the Philistines in buying and selling Israeli slaves. And so God says, I'm going to judge you for this and I'm going to judge you with fire. And it's interesting, the judgments that came upon them uh, and Babylon came against them in the 6th century and then in 323... 32 B.C., Alexander the Great came against him. I don't know if you've ever heard about that battle of Tyre where Alexander the Great came against them and told them to surrender. He was going to burn down the city and he was going to, you know, if they, if they surrendered, nobody would die. And they refused to surrender because here they were. They were this city out on this island and they had walls going up. They had, it was, the island was pretty much cliffs and then they had walls going up uh, all around the city. It was... It, Nobody in history had ever penetrated those walls. And they had sailed their ships out of Tyre all over the world. And they, they had this massing, mass, massive navy. And, and so they were a pretty powerful nation just coming out of that city-state of Tyre. Well, Alexander the Great came against them in 322. And he said, you know, either surrender the city or I'm going to destroy the city. And they laughed. They laughed. You can't destroy the city. This city has existed throughout history. How are you going to destroy the city? You know what Alexander did? started building a causeway, the first causeway, kind of like the causeway in New Orleans. He just started building a causeway out to the city. It took him seven months to build the causeway. But once he built the causeway, he was able to penetrate the walls. And when he penetrated the walls, uh, he was so mad, we're told, he was so mad that he lost seven months on his calendar of conquering the world. He was so mad that they delayed his goal to conquer the world that he decided that half the city would be massacred. And supposedly he massacred, and he really wasn't that, I mean, he destroyed cities, but he didn't really massacre the people. But in this case, he massacred half the city. So their judgment came upon them. And then in verse 11, he's going to move to northeast to, to modern day uh, uh, Jordan. And Jordan kind of runs on the east side, modern day Jordan runs on that east side of the Jordan River on the other side of Israel. And he's going to go to the top of that east side and he's going to pronounce judgment on Edom. 
Now listen to verse number 11. It says, Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Edom, and for four I will not turn away its punishment, because he pursued his brother with the sword. Now why would he call, Amos call Edom his brother? Where the, who do the Edomites descend from? From Esau. So that was Jacob's brother. And the whole history of Edom was to attack and harass Israel. And that shouldn't have been their attitude. It should have been an attitude of brotherly love. And that's what God tried to promote with them even back in the days of Moses. But it didn't happen. I don't know, you know if they were still holding a grudge for Jacob still in their inheritance or what it was. But, but they always were after the Israelites. And so God says at some point I'm going to have enough of that. And... Uh, Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom and for four I will not turn away its punishment, because he pursued his brother with a sword and cast off all pity. His anger tore perpetually against them, and he kept his wrath forever. But I will set fire on Timon, the capital, and which will devour the, their government center of Basra. Actually, Timon is there next to Petra, Petra, the rock city. Petra, you've seen that, one of the wonders of the world. Uh, this city was out, just outside of that, that rock city and, and it was totally destroyed by fire by more than likely the Moabites who are going to be judged here in just a second. They burned it down and, and, and took the king and, and burned him too and burned the people. And uh, so God's going to judge them in just a second. They're not going to go uh, uh, unnoticed either. So now he goes to the central, we're still on the east side of the Jordan River, and he drops down now to the central part of that area, and he pronounces, pronounces judgment on Ammon. And who is Ammon? You remember who is he a descendant of? Who were they a descendant of? Lot, exactly right. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the people of Ammon, and for four I will not turn away his punishment, because they rip open the women with child in Gilead, that they might enlarge their territory. What they did, they joined with the Syrians and Hatziel in his battle against Israel. Now we've already seen the pronouncement of judgment on Syria, but uh, God's now pronouncing on judgment on them because they joined in that battle against Israel. And they, they uh, again, as I said earlier, they were so barbaric that they ripped open the uh, pregnant women wombs and and uh, took the children and threw them against the wall so it was terrible remember I believe it was I believe it was Elijah who prophesied about Hatziel doing that uh, I didn't check that all out so I might uh, it might have been Elijah one of the two did and it was really prophesied how terrible it was going to be I believe it was Elijah you can go back and check that out read that story now and he says that he, in verse number 14, 15, he says, But I will kindle fire against the wall of uh, Rabbah, and it shall devour its palaces and shouting, and amid shouting in the day of battle and a tempest in the day of the whirlwind. Their king shall go into captivity and his princes uh, together. So he's judged. Uh, they're destroyed by fire. We're not really sure how they were judged, but, but anyway, they're, they're destroyed by fire. And then now he moves to the far southeast of the Jordan River, and he pronounces uh, 
uh, judgment on Moab. And listen to what he says there. And the Lord says, for three transgressions of Moab and for four, I will not turn away his punishment because he burned the bones of the king of Edom. Remember, how, we talked about the judgment of Edom and how they were judged by fire. And it was the Moabites who more than likely God used to judge them. But now God's going to judge the Moabites. But I will send fire upon Moab and it shall devour the palaces of Kerioth. Moab shall die with tumult, with shouting and trumpet sound. And I will cut off the judge from its midst and slay all its princes, says the Lord too. So they're all judged. If you look at, took a map and you put all those nations in that day around in a circle all the way till you get to the south and what's just south of the northern kingdom? Judah. Well, guess what? God's going to, next week, when we go a little bit further in this, God is going to judge Judah. Now, I don't know how long Amos' sermons last, lasted. I don't know if he preached it. This, this is a great sermon series he had. And, uh, and I don't know how long it took him to preach it. It might have took him a, you know, a, I'm sure there was more detail in it as he preached it. I would love to have a tape of it and listen to it. But uh, it might have lasted, you know, a few days. It might have lasted a few weeks. It might have lasted a few months. But I'm going to tell you something. He was preaching these sermons and I will be willing to bet you that he was the most popular preacher in all of Israel. I mean, as he pronounced these judgments that we've been looking at here, I'm sure he, had a, he heard a chorus of amens. Get them, brother. Yeah, Lord, destroy those Syrians. Yeah, Lord, destroy those Philistines. Yeah, Lord, destroy Tyre. Man, this is getting good. Come on, Amos. Come on, preach. Burn down the cities of the Ammonites and the Moabites. Come on, preach some more, Amos. But Amos was about to become not the most popular preacher in Israel, but the most hated preacher in all of Israel. Because next week, in the next part of our text, he's going to pronounce his judgment or God's judgment against Judah. And there'll be some of the people in there say, you know, those Yankees, those Southerners getting what they deserve. You know, those, those, those guys are getting what they deserve. And there'll be some people say, well, man, I hate to see that happen to Judah, but at least it's not happening to us. But then no sooner does he finish his pronouncement of judgment on Judah then he hits the bullseye. What this book is all about and what his prophecy is all about. And that's judgment on the northern kingdom. And it wasn't a popular message we're going to see. They're going to tell him that you go back home to Judah. You go back home to Tekoa. And or else. You know what we did to some of these other false prophets, even though he's a real prophet. You know what we did to them? We're going to do that to you. But he hangs in there. And he preaches the whole thing. And I think there's some lessons here for us. When we see God judging other nations or other people. You know, I hear some people sometimes, you know, pointing their fingers at certain people and saying, man, they're getting what they deserve. They're getting what they deserve. And you hear some pastors in the pulpit talking about, man, we're going to, 
all these liberals, liberals, I won't even say Democrats, but all these liberals, you know, they, you know, they just need to be judged. And, and it's almost like we want to see them judged. We want to see the nations around us. We want to see Canada judged. Look at how bad they are. Look at Mexico, how bad they are. We, we want to see these nations judged. But we need to be careful with that kind of attitude. Because we very well might find ourselves as the bullseye. Because God doesn't judge nations without a purpose. And let me ask you a question. Where does judgment begin? It begins with the house of God. Not necessarily chronologically. But it's God's main purpose is to judge and perfect the house of God in all his judgment. It's to get as many people saved as he can and then to get them sanctified. And so when we see other people being judged, we better be really careful we don't wag a finger at them. Or we, when we think that other people ought to be judged, we better be real careful about that. Because the Bible says, judge not, lest ye be judged. Beware if you think you stand righteously, lest you fall. Look, we're all in the position we're in by grace. Except by the grace of God, there goes me, I. I mean, I was born in America. I wasn't born in Afghanistan. And so it's real easy for me to say, man, drop a nuke on those guys over there and just end it all. But, hey, that's really a prideful, self-centered attitude, isn't it? Because God loves this world. He so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son. And God wants to see all the nations and peoples of all the nations saved. And that should be our attitude. Because there's none righteous, no, not one. And those of us that are saved have been saved by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that's our jobs to get that out, not to judge other people. I don't want to be the bullseye myself. I don't know about you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word and what you teach us through your word. And Lord, it's real easy to start pointing fingers at other people because of what you've done in our lives. And Lord, I know I'm guilty of that at times, and, and I know that's a bad attitude and a wrong attitude. So I ask you, I, I know you will correct that in my life. If anybody else struggles with that problem, you'll correct it in their life too, if they're your child, Lord. And I, ju I just ask today that we be less judgmental. You help us to be less judgmental. And fill us more with that love that we're talking about in 1 John, that agape love, Lord, that love that loves our enemies, loves those who are lost, Lord, loves those who seem beyond saving or change our hearts give us a heart for people i just ask that in jesus christ's name amen